My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad you are here, and thank you for making us your church home for an hour today. You who are online with us, welcome. Glad to have you as well. Um, we are entering into the Thanksgiving holiday season, and today we're going to do a message about Thanksgiving, and my hope is that it would prime the pump for you to do more than make it a, a memory about what happened 400 years ago and more about what God has done in your life and uh, inclusive of everything else it is the history of our country. So turn with me over to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. The title of the message is Thanksgiving, Honoring God. Thanksgiving, Honoring God. Psalm 50, verse 23. Psalm 50, verse 23. The writer says, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way right, I shall show the salvation of God. Lord, help us as we study your word. Three things I'd like to talk about from this passage. One, what it means to offer well. Two, what it means to have your way ordered right. And three, what it means to observe things that you may not have perceived before as a result of doing the two prior things. The psalmist is Asaph. Asaph happens to be one of the leaders of praise and worship in the house of God. He's, he's the guy that, at least one of them, that David set up in the house to do music. There was no music in the house of God before David came. Moses wrote a song, but it, it was a song of victory over the Egyptians. It wasn't so much something that they would sing uh, as, a, as an order of, uh, part of the order of worship and how they perform their duty to God. But David set up uh, an order out of the house of Levi whereby songs and, and melodies would be sung to God regularly. And the hope was that it would be done 24 hours. And so there were three guys, Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun, who were responsible to set up this worship. And Asaph wrote a number of psalms in that order. In this psalm, it's uh, fairly interesting. What I just read to you is the last verse of the psalm. But the first starts with how good God is. And then in verse 7 through 14, he begins to prophesy. He speaks the words that God is speaking through him for the benefit of the people in this song. And he says, I don't reprove you for your sacrifices. Your bulls, your goats, they're fine. But basically... I don't need them. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. That's how much I don't need them. I own a, a cattle on a thousand hills. The entire earth is mine. I just want you to know I'm not reproving you for worship. I'm not mad at you about coming to church on Sunday. But there's more that I want to talk to you about. Somehow, the Israelites had thought, if I just go ahead and offer what I'm supposed to obligatorily, then God's going to be satisfied. And if I go to church on Sunday, Monday through Saturday doesn't matter. I'm good. I gave my tip to God. I went ahead and showed him how serious I was because I showed up and I listened to Pastor Brett. I don't even like the music. He wears funny socks. It's not by mistake. I'm just trying something out. If it doesn't work, I might keep working it till it does. 
congregation, they lift their hands, they clap. Folk up here on stage are dancing with the, with the music. It's not a choir. Everything's different. But Lord, I endured. I came. I went to church. <laughs> you think you've done God a favor. Somehow we performed a duty that he's, ho, 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 congratulations. And he's going to applaud over when we haven't even done the minimum yet. And so the people were thinking, I sacrificed. You mean I have to serve you on Tuesday? You, wait a minute now. I gave a, I gave a fine bull. I, I brought some lambs. I'm not reproving you for, not coming, for, for coming on Sunday. I'm not reproving you for your sacrifice. It's just not enough. And in verse 14, he says this. He started that discourse in verse 7. This was a prophecy that God was speaking through Asaph now. In verse 14, he says, bring me a thank a thanksgiving offering, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And then for the next few verses, he talks about the wicked and how he's not pleased with them. And then he ends the entire psalm by saying, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And he who orders his way right, I will show him the way of salvation. There's something about thanksgiving that is special to God. And when somebody does it by way of sacrifice, it seems to capture his attention even more. Now, most of our thanksgivings, whenever we are grateful for something, are pretty much concluded when it comes out of our mouth. Thank you. But thanksgiving offerings were more than just lip service, though lip service is very good. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's expected. If somebody gives something to you, does something to you that you are not owed, then a thank you should be given. But God actually set up the, the, the idea of thanksgiving around sacrifice. So in Leviticus chapter 7, he talks about votive offerings. And votive offerings were free will offerings, offerings you could give any time you wanted. They weren't prescribed like a sin offering. That if you blew it, you had to offer this. A guilt offering, if you blew it, you had to offer this. Uh, Passover, Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, Day of Atonement. There were, there were certain offerings that you had to give at certain times for certain things. But a votive offering, you could just give it whenever you wanted, if you felt like it. And some people did. And he said, when you come with a thanksgiving offering, offer it like this. And so there was literally a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Somebody stroked a check and said, I want you to know I'm grateful. Now, generally speaking, we thank God when something has happened for which we either for which we have benefited about from which we have benefited or that, that we expected and hoped that would, would happen because God kind of we believe co-signed on our plan. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this job. Thank you for giving me a child we've been believing for 10 years and now we're pregnant. Thank you, Lord. And all of those things for which we have hoped and come to pass are worthy of our articulation and our sacrifice. But I'm convinced that there is something more that God is expecting from his people than just what anybody would do when they receive something that they've been believing for for a long time. Most folks, if Publishers Clearinghouse shows up at their home, are going to shout a hallelujah even if they're an atheist. If something really great happens, people are, whoa! And at some point in the rejoicing, they're, thank you, Lord. 
But what distinguishes the believer in his worship, her worship, from what everybody else in the world can do when they are prompted to do so? By something good that's happened. What happens when your life is a wreck? When you've been put on probation by your employer? When your marriage is really on the rocks? When your children don't respect you? When people are talking real bad about you on the gram? Tweeting horrible things? What happens then? Are you letting the current circumstances determine how you ought to express yourself to God? Does complaint come out of your soul? Why is this happening to me? Lord, I went to church on Sunday. Lord, I did this for you. Why is this happening to me? And in kind of a defense for the next, we kind of begin the process thinking that maybe I need to barter with God so that this won't happen again. So we, we begin to say things like, God, if, if, if you will do this, I'll do this. And that's not the kind of thing that God is looking for as evidenced in the psalm about which I just spoke. In order to bargain with God, don't you, don't, in order to bargain with anybody, don't each party have to have something the other wants? I mean, you, you want to bargain with God because you know he's got everything. But what do you have that he wants? <laughs> this is what he's telling the Israelites. I got a cattle of a thousand hills. What you got? I own the entire world. What you got? What do you have that would make me begin to bargain with you? Nothing. I don't need anything. And this is the beauty of understanding who our God is as distinct from us. He is not us. He is so different. When we give things, we actually have a deficit after we've given. Something is gone from us because we have distributed. When God distributes, nothing leaves. I know. We still receive. But he doesn't lack from the place at which he gave. I don't get it. But this is the thing that makes him infinite. That there's no end to his goodness. There is no end to his distribution. There is no end to his mercy. There's no end to his being. We always come to the end of ourselves. Whether it's the end of our finances, the end of our strength, the end of our intellect. He's different. And the danger when we come to the idea of understanding who God is as best we know, as we know, and then we can't understand all of them, is that we say, well, he must not be real because he doesn't fit in my brain. Oh, little mind you. You who have small intellect, please know that whenever I get to the place of understanding who God is as best I know how, and yet I find at that spot that he's much bigger than my understanding, worship comes from me. Why? Because if your God can fit in your brain, he ain't God. If you can figure all of him out, he is not God. God is bigger than us, greater than us. And the fact that he allows us the privilege of understanding a little bit about who he is, that, 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 and even that little bit, that peephole of, of perception we get, fills us, fills us. 
to the place where we are overflowing. I'm so grateful because he could leave us bereft of information even more. But he allows us to understand a little bit about who he is. And so on the basis of what we know, we worship. And then that inspires us to worship on the basis of what we don't know. He's big. Seeing that he is so great and so magnanimous and so wonderful and has treated you so well. Oh, he's treated you so well. That's two points at which you did not say amen. <laughs> he has treated you so well. The problem with the statement that I just made is that everybody wants to have a qualification after it. Meaning, yes, he's treated me well, but this happened. I lost my mother when I was this age. How could a loving God? We lost a child. How could a loving God? Well, welfare, how could a love? I thought he was supposed to provide. How could a loving God? What distinguishes your appreciation to God from everybody else in the world who responds like that except your insight into who he is beyond the next way he needs to provide for you that makes you happy or what he hasn't done that disappoints you what distinguishes you is that you're able to see something different that others cannot see that he sent his son to die for you he gave the greatest gift anyone in the universe has ever given for people who were ungrateful. It actually put them on the cross. And then he, in turn, rather than blaming them, said, Daddy, I know you're mad because they're treating me really bad, but don't get them. Don't get them. I know you can. You can get them, but don't. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Like, wow. Wow. That God forgives you even when you don't ask. And this is the only way we remain on the planet. Because we've done so much wrong for which we need to be judged. My point is I'm trying to get down to the, to the least common denominator which will inspire you to bless and worship. I wake up every day, and my life is not as it should be sometimes. I, 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 know there are, I know there are a lot of people who like me, but there might be just as many who don't. And they may be here this morning. <laughs> I, I, I don't live in a fantasy world. Being at the point makes you a target. Somebody who people want to follow, yes, but somebody who people want to, want to wait for, uh, some kind of chink in the armor that they can say uh-huh see and sometimes they talk bad about you this is not a complaint I'm just beginning to build an on-ramp for what I'm about to convey I get up some mornings and the burdens are a little bit heavier than I'd like them to be and life is not what I want it to be but I, I say Lord my name's written in heaven 
I'm not going to hell. So if my life doesn't fit in the pattern that I think it needs to to make me happy, I want you to know it doesn't matter. You don't need to do another thing, not another thing for me, to, to, to somehow inspire me to say thank you. Not another, not another. I'm not going to be the impetulant two-year-old that when they do not get their Skittles in the Safeway checkout aisle, <laughs> think their parents are devoid of love and care, that now they are the most despised of all the earth and the parents are the worst that they, they can possibly be when those parents did everything on the planet to get them to that point. I am not going to be that kind of worshiper. A sacrifice. Sometimes it's a sacrifice. <laughs> when life isn't going well, a sacrifice to say, Lord, I'm in a lot of pain, but I want you to know, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for forgiving me. And I am not going to blame you for anything. I worship you. And I believe that as my God, you can make all things, even the bad stuff that's happening, you can make the bad stuff that's happening to me right. I'm not going to lose my faith in you. I trust you. Even if my day goes like, like terrible down in the dumps, I trust you. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. More than just words. More than just words. Your heart involved. Your life involved. Sometimes your finances involved. Sometimes your strength, your service involved. Lord, just to show you how grateful I am, I'm going to go serve people who are in the same, if not worse. They, they, they might be in a worse situation than me. I'm going to go serve them. They might need exactly what I need, but I'm going to go serve them, and I'm going to distribute to them what I need because I want you to know how grateful I am for how you provided for me. Sometimes you got to do it like that. What separates us from the rest of the world? And how we devote ourselves in terms of word, actions, deeds, thoughts, in thanksgiving to God. Don't be like everybody else who needs the next to be grateful. He says, if you, order, if you, if you, if you offer to me an uh, offering of thanksgiving, you honor me. You honor me. Yes, you're bringing your sacrifices, but it's not enough. Your heart is far from me. You're substituting that for what I'm really looking for. People will sometimes, whether it's this church or any church, say the church talks too much about money. Too much about money. I just, it's just wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay? Well, you're going to be much more mad at me because I don't want your money. I want your life. Be mad at me about that. I want your service to the poor. I want your sacrifice for the orphan. I want your entire life. Be, I'll be glad if you're mad at me about that. Because that's what God requires. That we are to give our lives as a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable for them. Because that is, Romans 12, our spiritual service of worship. Now, when God's got your life, he's got your money. 
You honor him when you sacrifice like this. It honors him. And he says, what happens then is you order your way right. When, when you get your heart right with him and you're not always expecting him to be your servant, but now you are his. And you are happy that he has done the way he has done with you because he could have done much worse. It could have been judgment, and it has not been that because you are still breathing. And so you are really elated in your soul that he's given you more opportunities to serve him and to bless the community. And if you have that attitude regularly, he's going to begin to pour more resources through you so you can do what your heart now is inclined to do now that it's in line with him. It's going to happen, which means you begin to order your way aright. But you can only do it with a right heart. Otherwise, you will order your way wrong, meaning you will go the wrong direction. You'll think this is the right order for my life, and it's not. I can't tell you how much I did not want to do this profession. <laughs> Pastoring wasn't even on the list. I had things at the bottom. It wasn't there. <laughs> I was going to be a dentist, and I had it my whole life. And I, not a pipe dream. I was accepted to dentistry school. My dad was a dentist. I was going to take over his practice, pr uh, provide for him in his retirement. I had it set. By the time 1985 rolled around when I graduated from a Harry Medical School, I would have been making $90,000 in Kansas City. That's a lot of money for a single brother. I would have been happy. <laughs> happy. And God said, trash it. My dad tried to help me. He said, listen, boy, you know, I, I got the religion thing, okay. But you know when you got people in the chair, you got a captive audience. <laughs> you know you can do both. You don't have to go this direction. You don't have to be all that. You can still be a good Christian and be a dentist. But I knew God hadn't ordered my life like that. And so I said, Lord, <laughs> I got to tell my dad no. And that was hard, super hard. He didn't talk to me for another four years. I'm exaggerating. Every once in a while, when I called him to wish him happy birthday, he'd say thank you. There was no conversation. It was obligatory, hello, how you doing, bye. He was so angry. I wasn't mad at him. I understood. I ruined his dreams and what his order was for my life. But God had one for me. And it was at the bottom, not even at the bottom, off the list of things that I wanted to do because every minister I saw was completely irrelevant. It's not that maybe they were. I just perceived them to be so. And, 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 and when, I, when I felt called to ministry... I said, Lord, just do, do one, 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 one thing for me. Please don't make me the guy who, who stands up in a big event and prays for food. I don't, want, I don't want to do that. I don't know why that guy is there. I, I, I realize the food needs to be prayed for, but you've got to take a man out of his job. No, can't anybody pray for food? You've got to have a preacher pray for food? It made no sense to me. Why is he forsaking all the things he ought to be doing in ministry to pray for a dinner? Now, that was my mindset. Last week, I was invited to an event. 
God did not answer my prayer. <laughs> it was a good prayer, though. I prayed for more than food. I just want you to know. Folks should have got saved. <laughs> God ordered my way differently. And when you submit your heart to him and love him like you should, as best you sh as you could, then all of a sudden, you, you begin to order off the menu. When my kids were young, we didn't have a whole lot of money. We were fine, no complaint, but we didn't have a lot. So most of the time, if we went out to eat, we went out to eat at places like McDonald's. And I had, oldest was 12, youngest was newborn, five in the middle. So when we showed up at McDonald's at the drive-thru, because there's no point in us getting out the car. <laughs> at the drive-thru, you're ordering nine meals. They never got it right. And I'm not mad at them, because it's hard. Nine orders? Are you kidding me? Who are you? Is this a football team, a basketball team? What is it? No, we're a family down the street. But every once in a while, we'd, we'd splurge. We'd find all the, the coins and the in the pillows, and we'd go out to Outback. That was our big moment, Outback Steakhouse. And, and we'd walk in, and everybody would think, oh, my God in heaven, my dinner is ruined. Everybody in the restaurant, because when you see all these little kids come in, they're either going to be loud, screaming, or, flowing, or throwing food. And we worked really, really hard at parenting, really, really hard at parenting, not just, not just raising children, training children. And so when we went out, they were on balance very orderly. Older people who thought their dinner was ruined when we walked through the door would come over after they finished, look at my, my wife and I and say, I don't know what you've done, but thank you. <laughs> Literally, that would happen all the time. And then on the off occasion, the manager would actually give my children dessert, thanking them <laughs> for not throwing food on the floor. I mean, it was... It, w it was amazing. Uh, but, but my daughter, Brooke, we went to Outback one time, and all she'd known is pretty much McDonald's. So she, she looks at the menu, can't read, but she can see that there, there are no pictures. <laughs> she says, Mommy, I, I, want, I, want, I want McNuggets. <laughs> and baby, baby girl, they, they don't have McNuggets here. Can they get them? No, 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 <laughs> baby girl, we have to order off the menu. But they don't have nuggets. I, I know it's a different restaurant. You have to order off the menu. And that's the way most Christians are, like my four-year-old. God's given us a beautiful menu called the Bible. But we're not satisfied with the, with the things on the menu. We, we don't like what they have ordered for us. Restricted our diet. We, we, we don't like that. And so we want to order off the menu. We want our life ordered a different way. And God says, you serve me. I will help you order your way aright. The Bible has the best menu on the planet for you. There isn't a better way to go. And what you need to do What you need to do is get your heart satisfied enough whereby your palates change so that you want what God wants. Now, that can happen. You can change your desires. They don't have to stay the way they always are. 
When you were a kid, you hated broccoli. Hated it. Cried when mama put it on your plate. Daddy said, you're not leaving the table till you eat it. You stayed there till 2 a.m. <laughs> you hated broccoli. Now, you go to a restaurant and pay for somebody to bring it to you. <laughs> your palate can change. And so what you may not like now, all you got to say is, God, change my heart. Change my heart. Change my heart. Help me desire what you want, not what I want. So that when I come to your, your, your restaurant, I love to order off that menu. Best diet, best food. Order your way aright. And when you get your heart right for Thanksgiving, and God orders your path so that you're on his, and you agree with what he's designed, <laughs> then he shows you the way of salvation. Now, we interpret the way of salvation from a New Testament perspective. But this is an Old Testament writer. And in the Old Testament, you don't see a whole lot about what happens to believers after they die. Not a whole lot. A lot in the New. Not much in the Old. And that's because they didn't, they didn't fully know. They knew something, but they didn't know much. Most of their comments regarding salvation were about now. Save me from my enemy who wants to destroy me. The, 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 the people group that wants to take our land. The person that wants to take my business. Save me from the opponent. Save me from myself. Save me from going left when I should go right. Save me from destruction and sickness. Save me from pestilence. Save my crops from a crop failure. Bring water. Salvation was about, <clears throat> excuse me, was about stuff that's done now. When your heart is right and you've ordered your way, you find yourself on a pathway that doesn't lead you to destruction. It leads you to salvation. You'd be surprised how many people need to be saved, not from what the enemy is doing, but from what they have done. You've driven your life into a ditch, and you're blaming the devil because you can't drive. There were huge signs, bridge out, bridge out, and you went right through them, and you went over the cliff, and you're saying, God, why didn't you produce more, more road? I told you the bridge was out, but I just needed more road. <laughs> we always think, we normally think, it's not our fault. But 90% of your own consequences and difficulty is because you've orchestrated it that way. Me too. Me too. But I find this, that when I order my way right, I don't need near as many tr tow trucks to pull me out of ditches. Well, the traveling's easy. No speed bumps, no hard turns. <laughs> hey, Jesus, this is great. I love going this way. It's a lot easier. Easier in terms of the lack of consequences, not easier in terms of the lack of difficulty. Oh, picking up my cross is hard. That's never a lot of fun. Sacrificing for the benefit of others. <laughs> but after you do it for a little bit, you get used to it. Oh, yeah, the nails in my hands here and here. I get it. That, that, that sacrifice, I'm used to that. I can do that again. 
And then you start moving in a direction that looks like kind of the way Jesus lived, whereby he didn't care for his own life anymore. And now, as a result of it, people are recognizing, wow, I think they're a Christian. <laughs> they don't even have to say it anymore. Their life is so different than everybody else's. They get happy. They're, 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 they're praising through difficulty. They're, they should be depressed, but they're not. What is it that makes you who you are? Salvation has been delivered to you, and other people now see it. God is so wonderful in that he will take us through things, and the operative word is through. That whatever difficulty through which I'm going, even the ones that I have crafted to my own demise, my God is so merciful that I am going through. It is not the end. Now those which I have crafted for my own demise, (laughs) I've, I've, I've shot holes in my own boat. It's going to be more painful than I want and probably last longer to be restored than I desired. But he's not done with me. His process of restoration happens as soon as I say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, please help me. He begins to restore. People, not so much. God takes me back in immediately. People say, I don't trust him no more. I can't can't deal with, I, I, I can't help people and how they might feel about somebody else's restoration. I'm talking about God today. What God thinks. And if we will order our way properly, we will find ourselves in a place whereby salvation is something that we live in, not just something we have a destination toward. That I am actually living in the salvation of God because he has delivered me from the mistakes that I would have made and is using grace in my life to put me into things that I would not have gotten into that are great. I'm experiencing what salvation from the course of this world looks like every day. And I'll end with this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 24. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, lack, you, who, uh, you who practice lawlessness. That passage has been used to try to convey uh, the idea that your obedience is that which aids you toward heavenly progress, meaning toward the destination. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. My, my take on this passage is that heaven is a place. The kingdom of heaven is a realm are you listening to me? Think, think seats of government or if one that we are somewhat familiar with in history, the British Empire. British Empire was all over, said the sun never set on it. But there was one spot where decisions were made. London, England. That was what we would then consider in terms of this kind of transposition, heaven. But its influence was every place. The kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand when he came. He wasn't talking about a place. He was talking about a realm. Are you listening to me? When we we die, we're going to that place. 
But he asked the disciples to pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he wants his kingdom influence to be here. If you do not obey, if you do not let God order your way the way it should be, it doesn't mean that you're not going to heaven. It just means heaven won't be around you here. You won't have much of his influence here. You won't enter into the kingdom here. As evidenced by the fact that somebody embezzles funds from the, resource, from, from the company, well, they probably go to jail. That's probably not a kingdom outcome. <laughs> not much blessing in incarceration. They missed out on the benefit of being in the kingdom as a result of their disobedience. But we here as a church try our best to create as much concentration of kingdom in this, in this environment so that when people walk in the door, they sense and smell something beyond what is said here and sung here. The atmosphere is one like an embassy whereby the country might be across the seas. When you walk into an embassy from France, and you, you go through the front door, you do not see McDonald's fries there. Croissants. Help me. I don't know anything about France. I don't know anything about France. But everything that is France is in there. You walk in and you experience. Why? Because their little world is intended to create the world that sent them. Are you listening to me? We have been sent by Almighty God not to build our own kingdom, but to establish one that represents him well here. If you do not hold to the tenets of the kingdom, you can't live in it very well. You don't enter very well. You're on the outside looking in and thinking, how do those guys do faithfulness to their wives? Huh. I ain't figured that one out. How do they do that? And they seem so happy. I'm miserable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You want kingdom here? Let him order your way aright. You want to be saved from the judgments of the world here? I'm not talking about hell. I'm talking about the consequences here. You want to live in kingdom? Let him order your way aright. And you will live in the salvation of Almighty God. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace. Inspire us to be the kind of people who will obey you and honor you every day.